Welcome. Welcome. Ma. I'm just so thrilled that you actually let me say the welcome <laughs> for what is now maybe the 12th episode that you've never let me do it because you're a dictator. I am, I am. No, I don't mean to be a control freak. I just like to, you know, get get the ball rolling. That's I know. Right. But, but you I, did an excellent job. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, um, we, um, <laughs> yeah. how, how's your week been? Week has been good. I'm a chaos. I'm actually starting to feel like we're getting into our groove, which is quite exciting. I don't know. And the weather's start to change. Like it gets colder. Yes. Daylight savings kind of ended. It's just that weird transitional time. Yeah, I know. Because we're like, I mean, it, the winter winter is coming. Like the whole flu season, what have you. It's all a little daunting, which led us into um, getting our next guest, which is Dr. Priya Alexander. And gosh, she is just a bubble of joy that is so knowledgeable. And her energy is contagious. Yeah, she makes what is like, she makes the whole science, medicine um, concepts so interesting and fun oh. and I was like, I'm booking for a health check. I can't wait. I, I was know. Like, What's wrong with me? So it was a, a funny one because it was actually our listeners that wrote in and said um, we would love to uh, hear from her. And then, as well, I already did follow her on Instagram, and she has such uh, like open, informative, broad, broad spectrum social media. And then on top of that, she's a mum of two, a, G, a practicing GP in Melbourne. She has her book um, coming out in May, Eat, Sleep, Play, Love, which is um, for parenting for the first two years, a very broad spectrum book um, that covers off everything from like breastfeeding formula, um, dummies, you know, food. She said there's three chapters across food. Like it's very what she, what I love about it particularly is it says on the front, evidence-based, non-judgmental, which is so refreshing because there's a lot of judgment that goes on in parenting. Yeah, and a lot of things that, you know, you take bits of information from all different places and do what works for you and your family at that time. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, she's a TV presenter and the co-host of a network TV show, Good Chef, Bad Chef. Like, I, again, I don't know how she fits all that in. And she tells us. <laughs> <laughs> it's just – but what we got her on and talked to her about is basically like your health is your the epicentre of functioning of your whole entire life and if you have a family or you're a boss at work or a, a leader in a community, you your health is like – everything that leads the charge and if you don't take control of it you ultimately the surroundings around you can derail oh yeah it's a disaster it's a shit show (laughs) a sinking ship but also what i loved is all her um language around food terminology like i know i'd been brought up not mum and dad's fault i'll just say that love you love you mum um but in in a kind of time i guess when there's good foods bad foods not sometimes foods, it was called junk food. Like, and, I, and how I used to kind of, well, my relationship with food. Like, I remember back in the days of, you know, I don't know, I was 18. And I used to be like, no, I won't eat today. I'll just have a pack of ciggies and then I'll reward myself with some cask wine. <laughs> and that was a good day. Luckily, things have evolved. Since um, then, I know. I'm, I'm trying to get my rainbows in. <laughs> 
rainbows in and how the dialogue needs and the narrative around food needs to change because basically the ripple effect then is the emotional tie-in that happens when you you know judge your food intake and then you use all these bad like you know junk food treat you know good bad yes and you You want you end up feeling like guilty and confused or and you you don't want to put that onto your children you want them to have a great relationship relationship with food yes and enjoy it because it's such a massive part of our lives and you know what we love doing is Mm. food and she talks us through as well like the um presenting what you can do as a woman in your like late 20s 30s 40s and so on that this what you should be doing when you present to your gp in regards to prioritizing your health health um, and I think what I took the most from it is just go make an appointment and make a plan with your GP because then you can review everything and it doesn't mean that not everything in that consult might not be achieved in that very moment but at least you're on the trajectory of taking control. Yeah, and prioritising you as well. Yeah. So we learnt a lot. We are so thrilled she joined us and we want to say Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to this week's episode of Not Super Woman. Um, we couldn't be more excited, um, Very feel very lucky to have Dr. Priya Alexander with us. Welcome, Dr. Priya. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very Yippee. excited too. <laughs> so you are a busy woman. You're a mother of two children, a practicing GP in Melbourne, an author of a new book coming out called Eat, Sleep, Pray, Love. And a TV presenter, as well as a co-host on Good Chef, Bad Chef, which is a network TV show. I'm already, I'm exhausted for you. (laughs) I'm like, how do you fit that in? I don't know sometimes is the truth. I don't know, but I'm a very organised human. So I'll put it down to lists and a good, solid planning schedule. Yeah, you're so forward planning. I know, I'm a a forward planner too. So I I love it. Lots of forward planning and highlighting. I just highlighted everything just then, yes. And as we're talking to you um, earlier before we started recording, when we were – we did a poll recently and our listeners um, wrote in and we got so many responses of women that wanted to hear from you and love your advice. Like I I, I call it um, research but I also call it stalking. I stalked you on social (laughs) Um, and I went through all of your videos and I just was like, yes, this is so lovely to have someone that not only has such a, a sound knowledge base, but also is so willing and open to share that information so constructively as well. Like it's 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 quite rare to have and, – and I think that's what's so nice about social media And in media a way well. that we understand. Like I love kind of watching you – I was watching you while I was cooking the other night and mm-hmm. I understood everything you said and it wasn't complicated and it was simple and you broke it down and I was like, yes, yes. I know. Mm. I, this is very um, good for me today. I'm feeling really nice. Good. <laughs> I'm glad. I mean, because that's what I think. That's what's so nice about your videos is you like you make you. It's remindful and proactive and productive, and that's what I love. And approachable. Like, approachable. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Um, so, if we were to go back to the start, I mean, you have studied medicine. You've got a bachelor in uh, surgery. And Bachelor of um, Medicine, uh, MBBS. Oh, my gosh. What does that mean? What is that? Bachelor yes. of Medicine and Surgery. It's from Adelaide Uni. And then I've got a fellowship from the Royal Australian College of GPs. Oh, my gosh. So, like, oh. 
You start like that in itself is a huge feat. And then what were the stepping stones that then led you into, did you go straight into general practice? No, I didn't. So I did um, I did medicine very young, actually. So Adelaide is an undergraduate course. So you go directly from school. I was, I think, 17 when I came out of school and then entered med. Um, I always wanted to be a doctor. So, you know, I was my daughter's age six and I thought, I'm going to be a doctor. And I'm from a family of lawyers. So they were horrified. They were like, what, what is this? But you just you just public speak and go into law. That's the, that's the natural progression. So I kind of, you know, for my family certainly went into a new territory. Um, and I did do physician's training actually for 18 months. So I did my internship and then I basically thought I might be a geriatrician or a rheumatologist. That's where I was headed and I suddenly had this epiphany where I went, oh, I don't want medicine to be my entire existence. I don't want to do a PhD. I like clinical medicine. Um, and I thought I want to see kids and I want to see older people and I want to see pregnant people and I want to see I want to see everything. And it certainly wasn't where I thought I was originally going on this journey. But, my gosh, the day I made that decision, and I look back now, I'm like, that's the best call I ever made other than choosing Will as a good life partner and also having our children. But I'm like, that decision changed the trajectory of my life, I think. Do, is that because you feel like you get to see the whole spectrum and you get to understand and interact with the community and that broad level? I think it's, I get to see everything. Um, it's a very fulfilling job. It's extremely taxing and exhausting, but it is just I get to be there for the most amazing moments in people's lives like they share things with me that I know that they're not sharing with anyone else because I'm the person who's always there I'm the first port of call for stuff um, and I also love the continuity so I've had patients who I've known for years now we've both had you know they've had two kids and I've had two kids and our kids are similar ages and we're going through these phases of life together um, so it's a very special job and also I get to do this stuff and I knew I couldn't do anything really different and cool if I was, you know, a geriatrician or a rheumatologist. I knew that general practice was where my kind of dream of doing other stuff like writing books and doing this could, could really come to life. A lot of your advice and posts, it feels quite progressive in regards to talking about pre preventative um, solutions and going for screenings and testings in advance of, you know, being diagnosed. I, I realised when I was researching you that a lot of our system and structure can be based too much around treating when sick. Yes. Um, but you, you know, you talk a lot about doing things, you know, in advance to you know stop that in its tracks, so to speak. Mm. Um, was that something that was at the forefront of your mind when you went into general practice or was it something that you, it grew over time as you've been a GP? It actually grew when I was a general um, practice trainee, when I was a registrar. And I remember, you know, I'd been a hospital doctor, I'd been doing this kind of physician stuff on haematology wards and respiratory, all amazing. But I remember when I started studying for the GP exam, I went, oh, there's a lot on preventative health here in the guidelines. Like we're talking about eating rainbows, being physically active, that can reduce your risk of depression, not getting enough sleep can impact your chronic disease risk and heart disease risk. All these things started to fall into place. And I'm a big nerd. Like I won the, uh, the medal for the G GP exams in Victoria. Like I'm a major nerd. <laughs> um, but I suddenly went, whoa, there's a lot of stuff here that doesn't ever filter down to the community. Mm, nothing. I can't believe it. Yeah. And people have more control than what they realize. We can't stop some stuff, 
but we certainly can reduce risk. And so when I was studying and reading, I was like, shipping me timbers, how do we get this out to the to the community? And that's where kind of, you know, the, the Instagram was born. Right. Do you find in your practice you're regularly having overwhelmed and overtired and exhausted women being presenting to you? Is that a common theme, common occurrence? All the time. All the time. And I think that, you know, in a heterosexual relationship with children, it is usually the woman who bears that real mental load of the day-to-day running of the household. Mm. Um, And it's extremely exhausting and I think we're talking about it more and I think that a lot of women are now going, well, I'm number 17 on the list. Why? People want to kind of, why am I not a little bit higher up? How can I improve my health? I think that we're starting to talk about it more, so I'm definitely seeing more in this space. But I think, you know, with the lockdowns and with the pandemic, I think a lot of this has come to the forefront as well because suddenly we lost a lot of our supports, schools were shut, child cares, people were juggling even more. And I think we're still seeing the impacts of, stress and and the consequences of all of that now people are still reeling and getting used to the new way of life and kind of working through things working through lots of things Mm. because I was actually thinking about this the other day and chatting to my sister and I said when was the last time you went to the doctor and did like a mammogram a pap smear going to the dentist I'm like I thought it was last year it wasn't I haven't been I haven't done that for four years Yet I'll take my children to the dentist twice a year. Yeah. I'll take the dog to the vet. I'll prioritise everything else and then just forget about me or I'll bump it. My dog's been – I've been taking my dog to the vet and then the physio. And you'll just rock. You'll rock. (laughs) I'm like – and I haven't done anything. No, and and you forget. Yes, I know. But do you know, I think there's this notion that if you put yourself first as a a parent, as a caregiver – that you, you should feel guilty about it, that it's shameful. It's like, no, but the kids come first. No, but everyone else yes. comes first. I think we need to kind of take back the fact that actually it's really cool and bloody okay to prioritise your self-care and your health. Mm. And actually, you know, my mum has always said this to me. She's like, if you're okay, the kids are okay, please. If you're okay, the house is okay. And it's true. And so I actually put my self-care or my doctor's appointment on my to-do list. Yes, my way of saying to the world, get stuff. I'm not taking it off for anybody. Well, I think I'm keeping it up to date. Yeah, yeah, and if you're depleted, you have no energy, you're not a hundred percent. How do you care for everyone else? Correct. You can't, and and it just you know falls and apart. It, it is, and in literal terms, like for example, on Monday, I was a mess. I was so overtired from the weekend, and I uh, like you know on a like a literal simple term of what you're talking about. Or everyone in the family was just because I had derailed. Everyone yeah. was like all over the place. The whole routine was out the window, and I just realised, you know, again going through and looking through at your videos, there is just such a notion of we have to prioritise putting our health and well-being first because we are the <laughs> forefront of the leaders of the family majority of the time. Yeah. Um, and and it's setting a good example for your children as well. Like if they see you doing yeah. self care then you're teaching them that that's important and you, you know, look after yes, yourself. And, and saying no without reason. Mm. My daughter's watching me do that. She's six and, you know, things have happened and she couldn't do a play date. We decided to pull out because she was exhausted and I said it's okay for us to say no. 
and and without a reason or explanation. Mm. Um, it's teaching them, I agree, it's empowering our kids to actually set boundaries and look after ourselves and fill our own cup. The other thing I would say, Beck, because you, you were talking about, you know, self-care, is it doesn't have to look fancy. That's the other kind of myth I think that's out there that social media hasn't helped with. Um, when I say to my patients, I'm prescribing you some self-care and I write it down. It's usually for mums who are stressed and I write it on a little square and I give it to them. They kind of go, but I'm not going to have time. Like, when am I going to go for a massage? It doesn't have to be that. Mm. It can literally be going for a walk with your headphones on and music with swear words in it that you can't listen to. With <laughs> <laughs> That's my self-care, like, you know. It can good. be that yes. simple. Rage against the machine. <laughs> Angry music. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be fancy. So however you fill your cup or replenish your your soul, your batteries, de-stress, you know, whatever it is, take the five minutes. It's worth it. I just love the cup mentality because the other day I said to the my, my I've got twin girls. And I was walking around the house kind of rage cleaning and I was like, my cup's empty, it's empty. <laughs> and they're like, mummy, how do we fill the cup? And I'm like, no, it's so empty. <laughs> well, it's interesting when kids know though, right? Like my yeah. daughter will go to me, mummy, I think we're all a bit tired. It's coming to the end of term. And they get they learn to identify in themselves too. Like if she's irritable, she goes, mummy, I think I'm just a little bit empty. Like the batteries are running low. Correct, darling. How do you fill them? Let's say no to some stuff. Go to bed earlier. Do a meditation. Yes. You know, yes. all the simple stuff. So yes. then if we go to the medical sort of preventative side of it, if you're, um, say, 25, 30, over 25, over 30 and present to you and someone just wants to review their wellbeing, fill their cup, like from a medical perspective, what screenings or testings could they start with or do that would help keep track of where they're at? So I often see patients like over 25, 30, um, like you've mentioned, who say, I'm here for a health check. Yeah. And that looks different at different ages. I think it's very important to point that out. So over 50, it's going to look different. But for people in that age range that you're you're mentioning, the key things I'm thinking about as a GP is I will check your blood pressure because we should be checking that at least annually. Um, and that's a really good way to reduce your risk of heart disease and stroke, you know, big killers in Australia and worldwide, really. Um, I'm going to check in on your mental health because that's something we, you know, we often underestimate the physical impacts that mental health can have. So I'm often checking in on how's your mood going, are you sleeping okay? Talk about preventative health stuff like, you know, how much fruit and veg you're actually getting in. Um, are you getting 30 minutes of moderate intensity exercise most days? What could we do to up that to reduce your risk of diabetes, strokes, heart attacks, breast cancer, bowel cancer? Um, so there's a lot. Um, and skin checks as well. So skin cancer is another big one. Are you up to date? Are you high risk with a family history? What's your skin type? Are you quite fair? Are you higher risk? And then it's about cancer screening. So for people in the age group you mentioned, it's cervical cancer screening. That's the big one. And it's every five years now. And their self-collection is an option, which is a big game changer. You can take the swab yourself. Um, the bowel cancer um, and... The other one has just slipped my mind. Bowel cancer and breast cancer. Sorry, I'm the GP here. <laughs> um, the bowel and breast cancer screening comes later, so it's not in that age group. It tends to be from 50 onwards. But the other thing I tend to do in that age group is family planning. Do you have any options? Do you have any ideas? Do we need to talk about fertility preservation? 
So a general health check is actually quite massive. Really big. So really, yeah. at a minimum, you should be booking in for a double appointment to sort of like a 15, a 15 minutes not going to cover all of that? Well, 15 for me will because I'm quite efficient. But if I say to you we need to do cervical cancer screening, actually the person says I'd like to do it with you, Priya, in the room, then I'd say you'd need to book in for that. Or I might say come back for a skin check. Mm-hmm. But I think in 15 minutes we get kind of a map. Yep. And I write out, this is where we're headed. Let's delegate this to the next appointment, but this is what the journey's going to look like. Yeah, I love that. that mm. It just needs it – you do need to prioritise putting aside that time, booking yourself in yep. and starting with a map because then it, you can navigate your way forward once you have – So things like blood tests, like iron deficiency, all of that kind of thing, would you test for that as well? If someone has symptoms – so if you present to me and go, oh, I'm feeling very fatigued, poor concentration, I've noticed I'm a bit more short of breath when I go up the stairs, if there are symptoms there and it's clinically indicated, then I'll test your iron. Okay. If I'm screening for depression or trying to diagnose a mood disorder like anxiety, I will do your thyroid, iron, other bloods. The thing is we don't just jab people and take blood if it's not clinically indicated because if I take your blood, Beck and Zoe, just for fun, like let's just do a blood test fun. to check <laughs> You know, people go, I just want to check where things are at. So I take your blood, we run, you know, liver, kidney, blood count, you're well, no symptoms, and then I go, oh, Shivas, when I looked through your results, actually this mark is a little bit off. We probably need to do an ultrasound now and we do an ultrasound of your liver and they go, oh, we've incidentally detected this lesion in the liver. And then we go, oh, we better biopsy that. And then we do a biopsy and it causes you some sort of side effect. You get pain or you get an infection and then you're in hospital on IV antibiotics. It's reducing the risk of harm in something that was never going to cause you any problems, that Mm. was probably just a blip. Mm. You had no symptoms. We don't want to pick up incidentalomas and that's why we talk about clinically indicated or rational test ordering. Mm. Only doing stuff if it's actually required. Otherwise, you can subject the patient to harm, basically. Well, I do That's f- interesting. Yes, because I do find, look, I, I've often presented at my GB because I get quite dramatic <laughs> the best of times. And it can, I can find that um, as well, it's that fine line of taking a deep breath and make, making a plan with your GP versus yeah. um, going down a rabbit hole. And you can easily spend a lot of time and money going down a rabbit hole. Um, so I think that's really good and, advice. And looking at lifestyle choices, like do you go to bed early, reduce your alcohol, all these things that can impact your health yeah. that you've got control over, mm. yep. make those changes. I love that yeah. I'm preaching that and it's like you have not made those changes. I know. I feel like you're telling yourself that that's what you're Coming into Easter, <laughs> yeah, I will probably drink and eat, not exercise, have low mental health. That's right, after Easter. Because I'm trapped with my children. <laughs> No, after um, Easter. But I think remembering that the really simple stuff can have a big impact, right? Yes. Yeah. Like if you're not doing any of it, but you started walking, you know, 30 minutes three times a week, well, by golly, that's better than nothing. Yeah. You know, I say to exactly. patients, anything counts. Let's reset that you're seeing on Insta these people doing kettlebells and waving them around and, yeah. you know, doing fancy stuff and this high-intensity training. It's, it's reset expectations for people and actually put it right back. Any movement is good for your body. You know, yes, ideally 30 minutes most days. That's not feasible for everybody. So how do we work around that? And it doesn't have to be fancy. Yeah, I love that. And then I also, on your Instagram, you talk, um, there's videos on food morality. And that is something that I, I, you taught me that term 
Mm. And also something that I realised I've definitely, like Zoe and I were talking about it before the interview, we've grown up in a generation that, yeah, yeah, we are totally need to get up to speed on this because we're, yeah, I will... I feel almost ashamed to say, but I, I, I am good food, bad food, treat. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, and realising it's really a, it's not a good attitude towards food. How and how, at what point in your career did you start realising the dialogue needed to shift? That's a very good question. When? I reckon it's probably when I, st- when I had my daughter. So when she's about to turn seven. Um, and I think that's when I started to really unpack my own biases around weight stigma around food morality, diet culture. It just, I had to kind of reflect and determine how I was going to parent. Um, And it then, of course, filtered into my practice as a GP. And I see a lot in this space, a lot. I'm seeing more and more in this space, I have to say. Patients who are coming in going, Priya, I need to change my relationship with food and or my body. Um, And I I don't like where I'm at currently. For some it's a body image or eating disorder. For others, it's not. It's just these dominating thoughts around food and guilt and shame. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's taken me years to unpack this. I keep listening and reading in this space. I'm working a lot in this space with patients and psychologists. So it's a passion of mine as a GP, but also I've got two little people and I really want them to have a bloody good relationship with food and their own bodies. Mm. And I have a big control over that and so does Will. And so we've got some very clear rules in our house about, you know, lots of things, how we talk about food, bodies, we don't have scales. There's lots of stuff we do to just try and reduce risk where we can. Mm. And so on a day-to-day, like say breakfast, lunch and dinner, what does that actually practically translate to in within your household when you're preparing meals and so on? Do you... As in what- yeah, so yeah. like recipes that you cook or how you talk about it to the kids. Yeah, the language that you're using yes. I think would be helpful so as well. I don't use ever healthy, unhealthy. Um, I don't use good, bad, junk food. Don't use any of those terms. I will say, and this is the ethos I adopt in the consulting room too, I say let's eat lots of the stuff that we know is great for the brain and the body. You know, great stuff for the for the heart and we talk about the tummy. And so that in our house equates to rainbows and whole grains and we eat lots of that stuff. But I never talk about bad foods or we can have a treat after dinner or, or you know, junk food. I say, oh, let's have something else now. What else could we have? Oh, this is a sometimes food, but we can enjoy it now. Um, and we don't talk negatively about it. And, you know, sometimes foods might be every day. Sometimes food might just be on the weekend. There's no real rhyme or reason to it because I don't want the kids to think I only have a chocolate on a Friday after school. Mm. And be fixated on what they're eating and feel like, because I know we were brought up with, and and I still think like this, which Mm. isn't great. I'll be like, I've had a great food day today. And then, you know, the next day I'll be like, I had a shocking food day. I feel so I go to bed, I feel guilty. Mm. I'll be like, I didn't enjoy that. I hate that feeling. Like, why is there that shame? That's what it is. So I'm going to get passionate here. You just have yeah, to do cut it. Me I love it so much. But when we do, when we apply these labels, you say good food, bad food, and that can look different for all of us. But what you do is you say these good foods are clean or pure or better and the bad foods are somehow unhealthy um, and we assign shame and judgment and guilt to them when we consume them. Now, when you do that, yes, as you said, Zoe, you're not enjoying the food. And also all those feelings, berating yourself, why did I eat that, shouldn't have eaten that, that's a bad food. Um, It's really quite negative for our mental health and for many people that can then correlate into a body image or eating disorder. 
Um, the other thing is all of this is really stems from diet culture. You know, diet culture tries to perpetuate this myth that if we're thin, we're better, we're happier, we're more successful, and that if we're in a bigger body or we're fat, that we're, you know, somehow bad or not as great or not as successful and we're unhappy. Mm. And so that's where kind of food morality stems from. It's diet culture, it's fat phobia, and, and it's it's all very linked um, and what I would say before I get completely passionate here is that when you assign good and bad, it can it can be it can be awful for your brain. It can be quite toxic for your brain. It can be consuming. You lose out on the moment, so you're not enjoying food. And then if you've got kids, you, you're putting that onto them too, potentially, mm. and increasing their risk later in life of of body image and eating disorders. Like it's that simple. These little things in childhood. Um, do they carry it into their adult life? And when you say we're from a generation where, you know, we look at food like that, I know that I used to hear things like, I need to lose weight. This is the number on the scale. Oh, yeah. you know, I need to get in, be able to fit into this for this party. Well, I don't talk about any of that in our house. Things yeah. that we know more about how damaging those kinds of things can be for kids. Mm. It's so true because I know I am fortunate enough that I do see a counsellor and I was talking to her about my level of overwhelm and she was saying to me, um, like, she was like, how can we, you know, on a day-to-day basis, like, um, slow things down and make things simpler so that you don't feel so overwhelmed? And I said, you know, I was running her through our schedule and routine and I was like, and then dinner, I get to dinner and I'm like, I know the kids need to eat, like, well and healthy and and then I try to make these elaborate meals and uh, and then I'm stressed and she was like can we just stop and think about the stress that you're putting into that broccoli and that you know whatever um versus the actual nutrients that they might might take in versus the emotional effect of your stress and anxiety into that meal like it's as That's you were so talking true. about before she's like at some point you got to balance out as you said like the rainbows when, but at the same time, the emotional connection with the food. So I'm trying now to, you know, we, we were fortunate enough to have on one of our previous episodes, um, Sarah Pound, who is um, wholesome by Sarah and she's a nutritionist and she talks about sometimes just an egg on toast is good mm. and then you just add in the fruit and the, you know, simplify it. I mean, when you talk about rainbows, what is can you run us through general generally is it literally like trying to get in as much color as possible well i i call fruit and veg rainbows this is because my i've written the kid book rainbow plate and really it's just about making fruit and veg fun for kids so we know that um food exposures so for kids up to three years of age repeated food exposures so 11 to 15 of target foods so broccoli capsicum whatever it is increases the chance that a child will accept a particular food. So if you're talking about broccoli, singing about it, putting it on the plate, putting, you know, growing it in the garden, it increases the chance that your child's going to go, oh, I might touch the broccoli, and that's a win, by the way. Even if they don't eat it, then touching it and tolerating it's a win. Mm -hmm. Then they might try it one day and boom, that's a big win. So when I talk about rainbows, what I'm really trying to do is say, you know, food exposures, talk about it, sing about it, make it magical, get kids cooking in the kitchen. But my kids will literally lift their shirts. And my daughter's six, so she knows I can't actually see rainbows. But they're like, look at how many rainbows are in there. And they're, you know, shoveling down. It just makes it fun. Mm. Because we've come from a generation where it's kind of, you know, you better eat your peas. 
because it's that thing of do you have to finish everything on your plate because I feel like that forces you to eat and that's not great no you don't need to and you need to give kids some autonomy around food you know kids need to feel a little bit in control as they get older they can pick and choose and if they don't touch the broccoli well they've tolerated it on their plate doesn't mean you don't put the broccoli out sometimes I have parents in the consulting room going Johnny doesn't like broccoli we've stopped giving it I go oh oh, maybe we could keep putting it on the plate and exposing Johnny to it and building trees and mashed potato with dinosaurs because then maybe Johnny will eat the broccoli. Mm. You know, don't decide for Johnny what's not going on his plate. Um, So I know that's a very convoluted answer back to the question, but rainbows are really any fruit and veg and it's just my terms that it brings a bit of magic. Mm. And so then that leads me to your book. Eat, sleep, play, love. I always eat. want to go eat, pray, love. I know. I know. <laughs> That's yeah. why we chose the Both title. Fabulous <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Obviously, having children of your own, is that the protagonist of why you wanted to write the book? Or well, was it your experience in the practice? Both, Both, I think. Because when I was a new mum, I thought, oh, my God, in my sleep-deprived state, I needed the practical stuff because my brain was mush. Um, And I was reading these books that were telling me there was a single right way to do things, that there was a wrong way, there was a right way, there was, you know, quite judgmental. Um, And I went, oh, this is just, this is not actually what I know is to be true in the consulting room as a GP. Like there's often no single right way for sleep, feeding, anything when it comes to parenthood. Um, And in the consulting room, I would talk to patients and deliver little golden nuggets about, you know, food proteins and skincare and avoiding them to reduce the risk of food allergies or sunscreen use and how to choose one. And people would go, oh, my God, it would be so much easier if that was in one place. Yes. And so that's what I did. Mm. The Bible. The Bible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really different. If if you two both read parenting books, this is really different, I have to say, because it's all the medical tidbits for the first two years and it's there's no clear answers. I'm honest with people and I give you the evidence, the options. I serve you the platter. That's what I say to my patients in the clinic. Here's the platter for your carpal tunnel or diabetes, whatever it is. You pick and choose based on the option, the evidence, the pros and the cons. Do you want to do sleep training or behavioural sleep interventions? You don't have to. Where do you sit on the parenting spectrum? Can you breastfeed? If you can't, there are options. This is how you choose a formula. There's no judgment, no stigma. That's actually so good. When I was reading the um, tagline to your book and evidence-based, non-judgmental, I just was like, that is such a refreshing take on what is such a... uh, even though, market and crap. judge and very judged <laughs> market yeah. like there you 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 can buy these books i just remember going into you know those newborn toddler years desperately grabbing for information cuz i felt like i don't know what i'm doing and i need some answers yeah. and then you know reading like one book that was like you have to do it this way and another book that you do this way and then so it was just pressure. like i don't know oh. what and Conflicting. Yes. So you're like, oh, yes. this one's saying to not pat my child. This one's saying that if I do, like, it's very confusing. And one book saying use a dummy and the other one says your child will probably never speak if they use a dummy. Yes. And you're like, so who do I believe? Like, mm. what's right here? Mm. The truth is you can use a dummy. You don't have to. There are pros and cons to each. You choose. Yes. Like, I think people need to feel empowered to make informed decisions in this space. Um, and there's huge stuff that's happening in the first two years with sleep and starting solids and skincare. And also I talk about postpartum care of mum because we're sitting there, like you said, Beck, you went in because you're going, what am I doing? But 
you're bleeding vaginally, you've got sore breasts, you're sleep deprived, you know, you've possibly got this partner who you're going, who the hell, why did we do this? What's happening? Why am I married to you? (laughs) Correct. Why did I choose you? And we had a good life before, so why did we do this? Because now I feel like crap. Yes. Um, and, you know, we all have these thoughts, and I know that as a GP because people tell me. Mm. And so it's very liberating when I go, oh, I'm not alone. Mm. Other people don't always know that. And so it's all in here. It's all the stuff about the realities. It's not this kind of, you know, unicorns and rainbows. I get pretty pretty raw in there, I've got to say. <laughs> but And speaking of that, I mean, you yourself being a mum of two young children, and then you're going into um, you're a GP taking on a lot of people's um, problems, for the want of a better term. Mm. And then you're writing a book, and like, how do you find the juggle and the overwhelm and the balance? And how do you manage that for yourself to find to be able to take care of your own well-being? So I don't want to say that it's easy. So I have very dark, crap moments, like I think many of us do, where I go, whoa, the plate's too full and I'm just kind of lost my way. But I have to say, how do I do it? I work really hard on the really simple stuff that's very evidence-based. That sounds really boring, but the stuff that I know supports my brain. So I do exercise and I will fit it in if Will and I are chaotic. I will say to him, I need you to not leave surgery. Could you push your list back so I can go to 6am Pilates? Um, You know, I will fit it in wherever I can. I don't drink alcohol midweek because I know it's not good for my sleep quality, for my mood. Um, I meditate often with my eldest and my six-year-old because I know the evidence there that it's good for managing stress and reducing symptoms of, of stress. Um, I reduce my caffeine intake. So at the moment, because I know I've got a lot on, I'm not doing more than two a day. So I do the really simple, basic stuff bloody well. And when I'm in patches where I'm struggling, I really bump it up and write myself the script I give my patients. But I'm organised to the point of, you know, like if I showed you my diary, like you could freak out. But it's like it's it's colour-coded and it's I'm so organised because I know that if everything is rigidly in a list, things run smoothly. So do you have family support or help? I do. So I do. So I'm lucky in that Will and I being, you know, he's a plastic surgeon and I'm a GP, we can dictate our hours a bit. And so he often steps back so I can step up and vice versa. So that's a a very big privilege. My mum picks the kids up on a Wednesday, so that's her day. Um, She'll pick the kids up. We have a nanny who picks up on Thursday. But other than that, it's me and mum will come in and help as needed and Will steps up. So it's not, you know, it's mostly us. Mm. Um, But, yeah, we do have, I have to say, my mum, you know, she puts a pot of dal in the fridge and, oh, you know, it's like you want to Legend. cry. Like someone yeah. sort of a ruler and she hugged me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, it's so now. true. And it's so funny when you listed it before because it's just so simple and it is in, in when you start laid out in that form. But I do think that once you hit that point of, as a woman, feeling very pulled pillar to post and exhausted, it's hard to step back and look at it again in that layout. And so I really appreciate you itemising it like that because what then it's a helpful reminder that just go for it. I think people want a magic potion to kind of make them feel better and it's completely changing your lifestyle and the way that you live to incorporate these tiny changes in each day to make you have a happier, healthier life. 
Yeah. And for, on a science level, just reminding us, like you talking as a GP, saying that this is evidence-based medical, yeah. medically proven that it will adjust your well-being uh, is like, mm. oh, okay, And yes, they're things yes. that don't cost a lot of money. It's just prioritising mm. you a little bit each day. And so then this is a, um, a question that we always sort of ask our guests. It's, it's a bit of a hindsight question. It's what would you tell your younger self about around food dialogue, what you've learned over the years, if you could go back and sort of nurture your oh. younger self? I, before I, like, just for some context here, when I do, when I did unpack a lot of things and I reflect and I'm very honest with myself, I definitely had a poor relationship with food and my body in the early years at medical school. I definitely restricted my intake, saw good and bad, um, really bought into the, you know, thin equals happiness, all these false myths that, you know, diet culture perpetuates. Um, And I definitely had some really problematic um, relationships there, which I've really worked on and thankfully, you know, have, have overcome that. Um, What would I say to my younger self? It's what I say all the time, but it's that actually everything is okay in moderation. Mm. And that's the truth. Mm. Um, And that really is the truth, that actually everything, even if you look at the Eat for Health wheel um, and it's got all the, you know, rainbows and it's got the whole grains and it's got the chickpeas and the lentils, but there's the, you know, they call them discretionary foods. I prefer sometimes foods, but they've got the little thing there with the processed meat and the donut and other stuff. And it's not saying never. Mm. It's not saying ban these foods and never eat it ever. It's saying they're sometimes foods. You know, think about them. They're high in kilojoules and saturated fat and salt, and we know those things can increase the risk of some cancers and type 2 diabetes potentially. Nothing is never unless there's an allergy or an intolerance or you're anaphylactic. Obviously, no, don't have it. Mm. But otherwise, actually, it's all okay. And food oh, is just food. Food, food relief. Is food. I know. <laughs> and it's, food brings yeah, joy, and it, it brings you know family, and you love yeah. cooking together in the kitchen. Like there's so yeah. many things we love doing with food. The margarita that I'll have on Friday nights, right? Just as much as the stir fry that I'm going to make on Monday. So yeah. <laughs> and it's all just food, right? Like you know what we eat, what you eat back, what you eat Zoe does not determine our worth our value as an individual because that's complex stuff and we're bloody awesome and it's got nothing to do with how we eat or what we eat. Yeah. Yes. Amen. (laughs) Correct. Um, And then I'm fascinated touching on, and again, with in relation to the hindsight question, but when you talked about your younger self and the struggles Mm. that you had around your body um, Mm. and your eating and your habits and so on, like, what would you have told your younger or nurtured your younger self around wellbeing practices, um, you know, back then that you wish or had, you know, a hindsight of knowing I should have or would have could have done that to help me through that period? I think just knowing that actually small, like that small somethings and everything counts really. So when I was younger, I thought for exercise to count, it had to look a particular way. And it had to be designated time to exercise. And now as a busy mum of two, um, it's completely reframed. Like I know some days I'm not going to get anything in, but I walk the kids to school and that's incidental activity. Mm. And it's got me outdoors and it's bloody good for me. Um, And I'm not lashing myself, Priya, you didn't do it today and you're not good enough and did it count? Is it enough? I go easy. 
and and just go, you know what, it all adds up, it all counts. Mm. And actually my kids being outdoors on the walk to school and my daughter chit-chatting, I find out exactly what's going on in you too. Um, and also it's good for her, mm. you know, her yes, brain. you get that time together as well, yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I love that. It's, it is good things, small, like small steps. Yeah. Create change. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just have to say thank you so much. We I love that so yeah, much. Yeah, have thank absolutely you. loved it. You have been so informative and helpful and you have such a presence and I, I really appreciate like the mission that you're on in regards to um, getting these healthy messages and practices out there is so important because the narrative does need to change. And, and we can change it. Yeah. We know how to change it. We can. Absolutely. I love this. This has been wonderful. Thank you both. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled by that so much. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Not Super Woman. You can find extra resources, links and information on our website, which is notsuper-woman.com. Is that a dash or a hyphen? A dash is a hyphen, Rash. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, and if you're enjoying what we're bringing, you can follow us on our socials and we're across all podcast platforms. So hit subscribe, guys. 